The moon is an old malfunctioning sun. This is a strange frame of reference. Um, and then after C, we're gonna we're gonna find a note that is uh, separated by a fifth. So I'll show you on the little keyboard here. The moon travels in almost the same trajectory as the sun, a five degree skewed tilt difference, wherein the moon crosses the sun's trajectory twice a month in what we have called flat Earth nodes. As you can see, it doesn't. Guys, 17th of October, looking at the moon, which is was 100% last night, but it's now. So, if we believe in the law of inertia, then we must believe that there is an unbalanced force to change the velocity of the puck. But this puck is nearly frictionless, so what can be exerting this unbalanced force on it? 99%, I suppose. Just looking around the edges to see if we can see any abnormalities. And on the Earth, they were fighting time now. There are just so many hours of oxygen and water in the backpacks. So many hours of life in the vacuum of the moon. And then, uh, and then I'm going to show you what to actually do with it and why it's so useful musically. We're up in all the area. Watch that cable! 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 Oh. Cable! Watch the cable! Cable number one. Yeah, they're all fixedly. They'll break the whole world before they'll break the cable this time. Uh. I'll just kind of fill in the rest here. B goes to F sharp. You gotta be careful with this one. Um, start on B and you count up a fifth. You wind up on right here, on F sharp. Anyway, that's uh, one half of the circle right there. You can see that now the puck is moving in a circle. For now, let go of old notions and feel the initial logic. The moon is the same size as the sun. The moon is at nearly the same altitude as the sun. I'll show you that in a second. So. We're gonna start with C up at the top. Uh, a lot of musical things kind of center around the note C. Should be getting pretty used to that by now. You just traveled a really far distance in space. The question is, how fast are we moving? And it's far more difficult to answer than I thought because there are so many moving parts. Literally, no pun intended. Okay, fine. Our universe is in spherical coordinates out here. Okay? And so, what happened is that because physicists and mathematicians are really not good in dealing with rotation and angular momentum, torque and correlates effect and all this, they flatten the wave. So let's go through each level of motion and then add it all up at the end. Starting small, you're not moving. Just to keep it simple, let's say you're standing on the equator. As the Earth rotates, the equator is going the fastest, and the poles are going the slowest. If you were standing on the North Pole, you'd simply rotate once in a circle every day. But on the equator, you're going about a thousand miles an hour in a circle every day. You don't feel it for the same reason you aren't stuck in your seat while a plane is flying. Dr. Flying. Hume is exerting a force to keep it moving in the circle, and you can see this from the fact that the rubber ring is extended. He is exerting the centripetal force. And this is the only horizontal force acting on the puck. So start on C, you go up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And that note right there, G, is a fifth away from C. So that would be the next note. They made it like this. So what I did when I had this this elimination of the cone, I went to the side of the lake of the sand and I drew a wave with a stick, but then I put a line through it like this, and I realized that the wave 
is actually a 3D vortex. So, start with, um, we're going to build a circle of fifths, and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to arrange all 12 notes around this circle. I was filming it last night and I had a couple of glitches. Suddenly, just uh, I don't know, flickered. So, I'm trying to see if I can capture that type of thing again. Carolyn fondles beads. Um, like I said, they're kind of weird, and if I'm teaching a little kid, I kind of church it up a little bit. Um, but anyway, if you kind of just Ponder that for a moment. It's they would sample several locations on this EBA, okay. but none would cause more excitement than the find okay. at the crater called Shorty. Can everybody see that? And I was like, oh my god, they flattened the wave. That's why I'm confused. Nothing in the universe goes up and down like this, everything in the universe orbits and uh, so we'll do that. If you go back to C, and then you go uh, down by a fifth, you wind up on F. So F is the next note. And then from F, you get B flat. Same kind of thing, you gotta be, gotta be careful there. F to B flat. And then if you keep going, you would get E flat, A flat, and D flat. Four. The moon nearly travels at the same speed as the sun, but is slightly slower as it's lost its power and has malfunctioned. The sun catches it and overtakes it once a lunar month at the new moon. The moon self-illuminates and self-de-illuminates for phases. 6. The moon self-illuminates and self-de-illuminates for lunar eclipses. This is when I, you know, this, this is one of the reasons that Einstein field equations are not complete. It's because the torque and the correlate effect that's resulting from rotation is eliminating, eliminated by attaching the frame of reference to the rotation of an object. Let's, let's start on C for a second. Let's suppose that we wanted to create a C major chord. Now you probably already know how to do this, but just kind of bear with me. When they calculate the forces involved in a black hole that's rotating, they attach themselves to the black hole so that they're rotating at the exact same rate so they don't have to deal with torque. Go ahead. If we're going to talk about spin and rotation, the first thing to ask is why do some objects spin and not others. In fact, why is anything in the whole universe rotating? And to explore that, we're really going to have to address an issue of physics. I'm going to have to introduce you to a concept called angular momentum, or if you like, rotational momentum. And it's something we're all familiar with in everyday life, even from when you're a child on the sort of merry-go-round or the sort of spin thing on the playground. It's something we encounter, but actually to try and get across its importance and why it dictates the rate at which things spin and the direction they spin, I have to simplify it a little bit. So this is what we call a conserved quantity. If something is spinning, it has angular momentum, and that means that it stays with that amount of angular momentum for the rest of its life 
unless it has an external force, an external twist applied to it. And that's the only way you can change the angular momentum of an object. But how could that be 238,000 miles away, people? Really? And look, can't see a satellite, can you? 20,000 odd satellites whizzing round at 17,000 miles an hour. Can you see a silhouette on the moon? Of any of them? Seriously? No. And how can you zoom in on something 238,000 miles away? That's no more than 50 miles away, guys. No more than 50 miles away. Oh, hey! There is orange soil. Well, don't move it till I see it. It's all over. Orange! Don't move it till I see it. I've stirred it up with my feet. Hey, it is! I can see it from here. It's orange. Don't I can't see any abnormalities tonight. Three mystery notes here. Uh, now to find the, this second note, um, same technique as the, the C major chord, you're going to go up two whole steps. The moon turns a fiery blood red when powered up, full moon, when at the same time holds a geometric aspect to the sun, strangely labeled a lunar eclipse. So from A flat, uh, one whole step up would be B flat, and then the next one would be C. I'll, I'll show you on the keys just to make it easier. The sun has been known to turn the same very fiery red too, explained later. 9. Both affect plants and animals, and all life on the planet. 10. Both have evidence of being electric in their nature. 11. Both send intelligent light waveforms to the ground of the earth. Um, so that puts us on E flat, and that's the next note in the chord. And that's the hardest one to figure out, uh, or would be, if you didn't know your circle of fifth. Obviously, we need much more information than that. So let's go to old books, scriptures, and the ancient myths once again, and include the related sun information, before we start to tie things together with more weight. And there you go, there's a circle of fifths. Uh, now, if you are trying to remember the circle of fifths, of course one way is to do what I just did. Um, you start at the top at C, and you... Uh, you go around by fifths. Um, the, the technique is kind of in the name. Everything's separated by a fifth. Uh, but it's probably not the easiest way to remember it. Uh, I recommend using mnemonics. Just a couple little sayings and you can remember it. Um, what I always teach, these are kind of stupid, but um, Carolyn gets drunk and eats butterflies is how you remember the right half. And then for the left half... And not just is it the amount of, amount of angular momentum... Direction is also important. Anybody who's played with a gyroscope knows that you can set it spinning about an axis. And then if you push that axis over, like in this movie here, 
it will then process, it'll move around, because it's keeping the same amount of angular momentum conserved about the vertical axis. So if you like, think of angular momentum as you know, how much oomph something has as it rotates. Strictly, it's a vector quantity. I mean, we could talk about vectors and cross products and things. That means you've got to subscribe not just the, how much angular momentum there is, but what direction it moves in. These things are important. But a very gross simplification that will suffice for what we need today is to describe it as the product or the, the quantity that you get by multiplying the mass with the rotational rate of the body and the radius squared, its size squared, all of that has to be conserved about an axis. It's hard to ever forget it. And there you go. So there's a circle of fence. Now, like I said, the, uh, the important part is what you actually do with it. And this is where a lot of people do get stuck. So, so um, you know, imagine that there is... I'll give you a simple example. Imagine that there's an electrical motor turning in front of you and there's a shaft and you're going to try to grab that shaft, right? Now if you grab that shaft and you're... Uh, and, you know, that means, for example, for something of a given mass, of a given angular momentum, if you increase the radius, if you increase the size, then its spin slows down you know, you're not moving with it, you're going to get heat, you're going to get torque, you're going to get all sorts of effects, right? Thermodynamic also. Your hand is going to start shredding, right? Okay, but if you turn with the shaft, then there's no force. It is written in scripture that the sun we know now also turned red, blood red. The sun we know now also lost its power and turned red, blood red. If you decrease the radius, if you make it smaller, then it's going to spin up. And there are a couple of little examples I've got, if my computer will load the videos. Really? Now that's a big difference. Okay, if you're calculating things where things are turning with, if the observer is turning with the thing, then you're gonna miss a lot of forces. The element appeared full of bright stars to every man's sight, continually, for the space of two days together. So the example of the latter one is the radius shrinks in, then the rotational rate must increase, is of course the ice skater. Here's a, a fabulous lady doing spins. Watch how she skates along and then she brings her arms in and she speeds up to phenomenal spin rates. And this is just the conservation of angular momentum again. I bet she feels busy after that. In 542 AD, according to Hector Boetius, the sun appeared about noondays, all wholly of a bloody color. This right here is the critical point, and if you forget everything else I say in this video, this is what you have to remember. What I just wrote down, C, G, D, all these, these can represent different things. On April 23, 1547, in England, France, and Germany, the sun appeared for three days as if it were suffused by blood, while at the same time, many stars were visible at noon. There's a few guys on YouTube with really good telescopes and hours and hours of footage of the moon, and they've captured the lunar wave. 
so we do know stuff. So that's 99% and you can see it's not full, so where's the dark side? Where's the 1%? On the forenoon of October 11th, 1520, an eclipse of the sun was expected. At 8 seconds past 10 a.m., the sun, having then reached the altitude of 42 degrees, began to lose its brightness, and gradually continued so to do changing to a dark red color, without any cloud intervening that could be perceived. It's to be dark. Hmm? Seriously, if I can get that close, I should be able to see the dark 1%, shouldn't I? But there isn't. It's not there. No part of the body of the sun was hid, but the whole appeared as when seen through a thick smoke, till it passed the altitude of 44.5 degrees, after which it recovered its former luster. So we see, that the stars near the sun were visible with the blood sun too, meaning, the sky was not obstructed by anything. And that goes for any key change. If you wanted to go from D to the key of A flat, those are very far apart, very hard to get between. But say you wanted to go from D to the key of G, that's not hard to do at all. So it's a really powerful compositional tool. You can think of it in terms of this sort of key map. I'm firmly convinced that it's changed the whole basis of philosophy, including religion. I don't think that we've begun to see uh, what the era of spaceflight really is. It, uh, we've got a long way to go, and I hope I'm living when we leave this solar system on a venture to find another planet Earth. 99, proceeded, 3, 2, 1, ignition. Right away, Houston. That's your grid. Excellent. Good shoulder. Now, here you have good thrust. One revolution later, Cernan and Schmidt caught up with Evans and prepared for docking. Now the other thing uh, that it's really used for when you're thinking of this uh, in terms of keys is it can show you almost right away um, how many sharps or flats are in a key and it can even show you what those sharps or flats are. So. We'll do a couple examples. Um, if you start out in the key of C, of course C has no sharps and no flats, so not much to think about there, but say you're in the key of G. And then the opposite, well, we're looking at a somersaulting diver, and it's only a short clip, but what you have to notice is he does two and a half somersaults before he dives into the water, and he doesn't have very far to go. And obviously he springs up from the board, but he tucks himself into a very tight ball in order to accomplish the number of somersaults. And then just before he splashes into the water, he opens out and he completely slows himself down, and he has this graceful entrance into the water. So just watch him do that. It seems, the sun had some problem. It lost its power and it turned red, just like the moon does. This is some ancient examples, of there not even being a moon in the sky, 
the period when the Earth was moonless, is probably the most remote recollection of mankind. Democritus and Anaxagoras taught that there was a time when the Earth was without the moon. Aristotle wrote that Arcadia in Greece, before being inhabited by the Helms, had a population of Pelasgians, and that these Aborigines occupied the land already, before there was a moon in the sky above the Earth. For this reason they were called Procyons. Imagine, for instance, calculating the forces that are going on in a galaxy. Uh, 300 billion stars orbiting, right? But instead of, instead of, um, of, of being uh, an observer looking at the object orbit, you're attaching yourself to it, then there's not going to be any forces. That's a big omission in current physics. But what happened there is that I realized that the, that this, that the waveform is not a thing that goes up and down like this, but actually a thing that goes in uh, orbit. And when you look at it that way, then the wave frequency, the wave amplitude, and the wavelength are all a result of angular momentum, rotation. Good to see you. Good to have you all back up here. It's been a good trip. Man, yeah, that Challenger is a beautiful vehicle. You betcha. <laughs> hey, this is great. Talk, talk about being a spaceman. This is it. December 17th, 170,000 miles from Earth. Ron Evans left the command module. And they, they basically stay one tick in front of the key you're looking at. So if you're looking at the key of E flat, uh, you would have a B flat, an E flat, and an A flat. And that's basically how you would use a circle of fifths in terms of keys. Now, there's plenty of other ways to use this. The, the point that I'm kind of trying to get at here is that... Hello, Mom. <laughs> we see you, Ron. Looking great. Okay. Hey, John. How you doing? Hi, Jamie. Evans took a last look at the Crescent Earth. In two more days, they would be home. December 19th. They rode inside a 5,000-degree fireball through the atmosphere of Earth. Stowed in the spacecraft, almost 250 pounds of the moon. Speed is relative. You only feel it when it changes. So anyway, you're already going 1,000 miles an hour as a person by yourself. The Earth is traveling around the sun once per year. It's a trip of 584 million miles. To get the sun back to the exact same point in the sky every year, it has to go all the way around. That means the whole planet is flying at 66,667 miles an hour. And it's good for you in the sense that it's a lot easier than most math courses because we're not going to focus too much on proofs as a planet on top of your 1,000 miles an hour. You get where we're going? Then zooming out further, we are all tied to the movement of the sun. The sun is flying through our galaxy with all of its planets tucked into its gravity. I want to, to, to uh, sort of outline some really basic fundamental mathematical ideas and theorems, but we're not gonna go into too much detail 
as to how you prove them and how you set them up formally. Scientists determined the sun is moving toward other stars at around 45,000 miles per hour. We're also moving up relative to the galactic disk at about 15,700 miles an hour. We're not going to fly out of the galaxy, by the way. The gravity of all those other stars is going to slow us and then pull us back down in the next 14 million years. We'll get to that later. This closes a golden chapter in the age of space exploration. In a way, it brings a close to what has been a very romantic era in space exploration. But, and I want to make this very strong, the book is still being written. I want you nevertheless to understand what the theorems say and to be able to say, draw a picture or explain it to somebody else. Of course, it is of no use to counter this sum with the myth of the first chapter of Genesis, a tale brought down from exotic and later sources. The memory of a world without a moon, lives in oral traditions among indigenous tribes. The Indians of the Bogota Highlands in the eastern cordilleras of Colombia relate, some of their tribal reminiscences to the time before there was a moon. In the earliest times, when the moon was not yet in the heavens, say the tribesmen of Chibchas. In the memory of mankind, no moon accompanied the earth. Two to 250 million years, we're moving approximately 550,000 miles per hour as a solar system. You'd think that might be far enough, but we are not done yet, because you, the planet, the solar system are all moving, and so is the whole galaxy. Our galaxy is headed toward the Andromeda galaxy at a pretty good clip. Numbers vary, but a recent 2013 Space.com piece clocked us at about 252,000 miles per hour. Again, so the mathematical background that I'm asking of you is, uh, is relatively minimal, but you will have to do some, some work. You will have to try to understand some of the mathematics. All right, so our first lecture is uh, a very good place to start with Pythagoras' theorem, which is probably the most important theorem in mathematics, Pythagoras' theorem. And that's a good place to start. It's also perhaps uh, the first really major theorem in mathematics. In the fixed frame of reference, the puck moves off in a straight line. There is now no unbalanced force acting on it. Now let's look at it again from his point of view in the rotating system. When he releases the puck, which to him was at rest, it moved. The force away from the center is now an unbalanced force on the puck to him. So this image was taken by the Apollo 17 it's one of the very first images that we have of the Earth as a whole as seen from space. The first images were taken, I think, in the 50s. And this one wasn't taken until 1972. And it has become an icon of the 21st, or the 20th century. The key of G has one sharpener, because it's just kind of one tick over on the, on the wheel. Key of D would have two sharps in it, and key of A would have three, and, and so on. Is this true? No. <laughs> that actually has nothing to do with the dynamics of our solar system. Although this is taught to all children. As, as an image. And I'm standing on the Earth now, and I know in my head that we're moving. But I can't feel that motion. It's like I'm on a carnival ride, and I can feel the, the Earth moving up and down or something like that. But there are many clues and many things that I can observe on a daily basis that indicates to me. 
key of B flat has two flats in it, E flat has three flats, and so on. Um, now, if you uh, look at the key of F, remember it has one flat in it. The, the flats actually start right here on B flat. So the key of F would have a B flat. Um, if you went to the key of B flat, it's kind of confusing. Um, okay, say we're in the key of B flat. That the Earth is indeed in motion. So some of those daily regular cycles that I can observe. One is the sunrise and the sunset. So each day, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Um, maybe I'm stuck in my office, and so I don't, I don't actually get a chance to observe that every day. But I've seen enough during my lifetime to know that that's that's indeed the case. Uh, at school. Even in my school, there was like one of those little devices, you know, that you turn the little thing on the bottom and the planets go around the sun. I don't know if you had those, but I had those in my school. And it's actually completely incorrect. What else? Well, the stars move. If I'm lucky enough to be outside at night, I might be able to see something like this. So here's a, a time-lapse photo of the stars moving through the sky at night. And you can see this is the center point here. I'm trying to turn the lights down so you can see the photos better. So let's talk about Pythagoras' theorem. Here's our closed. Uh, isolated system binding us in the bus again because the sun is moving 200 kilometers per second and the planets are following at the equator of the sun generating a huge vortex that has nothing to do with planets coming back onto themselves over and over again that's only one of the several topics that I'm going to be uh, talking about today. We're also going to talk about uh, irrationalities and Pythagorean uh, triples or rational parameterization of the circle. Uh, most days, or, or at least one planet up in the sky at night. Uh, so here you can see some planets, well you barely see them, but they're these bright, they look like stars actually. And it's hard to tell the difference between a planet and a star just by looking, but one thing that you can do if you stare at a planet for a long time, if it doesn't twinkle, it's a good indication that it's a planet rather than a star. And planets seem to uh, line up nicely in the sky all along the same line. And that line in the sky is called ecliptic. And that's something that I can observe. If I was a careful observer, I could see that the planets don't quite move with the background stars, that they, they seem to wander. And in fact, that's where the word planet is where the word comes from is that they're wanderers, that they move with respect to the background of stars. See how different that view is just from not going with the closed system? To define lengths, we need square roots. That's a consequence of uh, Pythagoras' theorem. But to define areas... The moon sort of has its own periodicity to it. So the moon phases occur uh, it takes about one month to go th uh, through the entire... Uh, After a year of rotation around the sun, the Earth is millions and millions of miles away from where it was last year. 
in a lot of situations, you don't need uh, square roots. Let me give you an example of that. So suppose you had, um, suppose we're working in a more modern... And I realize it's all vortices. Now, when you look at it, you could say this is 2000, this is 2001, this is 2002, and so on, right? Like the Earth. Well, this distance has nothing to do with the same point in space-time. All of the phases, so it goes from crescent, and when it, the, the light of the moon or the face of the moon grows, that's called waxing, to full moon, and then back to, to crescent, the moon is waning, and... The turntable, the Earth, rotates, but the plane of the pendulum remains fixed. A pendulum used for this purpose is called a Foucault pendulum. You saw me start one at the beginning of this film. Let's look back again now. <laughs>